One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. If you have your Bible, uh, grab it and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, it's about the middle of the Bible or so. Isaiah, and um, I want to just read one verse just to introduce where we're going over the next few weeks. And this is out of Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. And uh, this verse is actually echoed or repeated in Acts 749. So if you're like a you only think something's biblical if it's in the New Testament. This is in both, okay? And uh, so it says this, Thus says the Lord. In other words, listen up. This is important. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? I want to read that one more time because it's so short. Heaven is my throne. This is God saying, heaven's my throne. Earth is my footstool. Listen to this. Where is the house? Uh, In other words, where can I be at home? Where will be the place of my rest? And uh, this is a a powerful, powerful verse uh, because it really communicates the heart of God. And today we're starting a series that uh, is, is kind of setting the theme for uh, the beginning of the new year, and we're calling the series Temple. And I know for many of us that word temple is not an everyday word that is in our vernacular every day, but really that word is such a crucial, crucial word because it communicates God's heart. And, and here's the, the part of God's heart that I want you to hear today, is that God is looking for a place to dwell. Uh, anybody here ever been house hunting? You, you know the struggle is real, right? You've, you have looked for a house, and, and sometimes if you've been house hunting, uh, you will find out that people live in the weirdest places, right? Or, the, or should I say this, they do the weirdest things to houses. You never know how weird it is on the inside of that place till you get in, and you're like, I would just, I just want a house that doesn't have a toilet in the kitchen. Is that too hard to ask? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and God has the same struggle. He's looking for a place that he can dwell. He's looking for a place that's, that, that's conducive. And I would say this, it's not a place that is perfect, but just a place that would open up to him. In fact, that word temple uh, really is a theme that runs throughout the whole of Scripture, from the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. In Genesis, God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden, and that was God's ultimate desire, that he would live on earth with people. I, I don't know if you know this, but God's ultimate plan for you isn't just for you to go to heaven. In fact, that's the last thing God wants you to do think about that. He, he, his plan wasn't just for you to go to heaven. His plan was for heaven to come into earth. How does, how, what are we talking about? Well, what makes heaven heaven? Number one, it's where God is. I don't have any more points following that, number one, in case you're a note taker, all right? But what makes heaven heaven is, what, is where God is. And, um, and so God's always looking for people that would welcome his 
presence, people that he would live among. If you, if you read the end of the story, the end of the Bible, it finishes like this. God is establishing his kingdom, and it says the dwelling place of God is with man. What a mind-blowing thought that the God that cannot be contained by by, by buildings or, or by any man-made structure, wants to live in your life. That's the whole story of the Bible. God wants to live with you. He wants to live with me. He wants to come and dwell with us. And of course, the, the whole pinnacle of that is the person of Jesus coming to the earth. And when he came to the earth, heaven came to earth. God came to earth. And what had been restricted from so many people, when Jesus came, it was scandalous to the minds of the religious because what had been contained in a place that was for the spiritual elite now became open to every single person. In fact, the scripture says that when Jesus died on the cross, that the veil, that's the the barrier or the restriction that was in the temple between God and man was torn. Torn from the top all the way down to the bottom. Notice it wasn't torn from the bottom. Why? Because we can't tear from the bottom. We can't get up to God. God had to tear it from the top to come down to us. What a wonderful thing that God wants to live. He wants to dwell with us. This is God's greatest desire and man's greatest need. God doesn't need us. He wants us. But the presence of God, the life of God, the person of God is your greatest need. You may, you may say, that's not my greatest need, Justin. I need some more money. You may say, that's not my greatest need. I need a new house. You may say, that's not my greatest need. I need a new spouse. Or fill in the blank. But I, I want you to understand that your greatest need, it, beyond anything else, nothing wrong with those things, but your greatest need and my greatest need is God. And go, is God. And, but here's the good news is that when God comes, when God moves in to your life, he brings his stuff with him. Isn't that good? You ever had a roommate that they bring their stuff and you're like, please, leave it at the door. That's not God. When he brings his stuff, all of the blessings, all of the goodness, all of the favor, everything that your heart longs for is found in the presence of God. But if you spend your life seeking the stuff, you'll never get the fullness of it. Jesus said it this way. The Father knows that you have need of all of those things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added to you. So, so might I suggest that whatever your goals are for 2020, just put God at the top of the list. You, you need a breakthrough in your business, put God at the top of the list. You need a breakthrough in, in, in maybe in your health, put God at the top of the list. If you see God, he says, you'll get everything else. You'll get all of the earthly things thrown in when you seek God. But the reality is that not all of us are longing for God, or, or, or there are certain things that perhaps we are not willing to do that, that will make room for God. 
And so we're in this three-week series that we're simply calling Temple, and we're looking at how do we make room for God in our lives? What are the things that will cause our lives, our homes, our families, our everything that we have and everything that pertains to us to, to be a place that when God looks from heaven, he goes, that's the kind of place I want to be in. That's the kind of person I want to live with. He's looking. This is what Isaiah says. God's looking for people that would welcome him. He's looking for people that would make him at home. And so there's nothing that we can do to earn the presence of God in our lives. That's what Jesus, that's why Jesus came. There's nothing we can do to earn God's presence, but we can accommodate God's presence. There's certain things that will cause the presence of God to be drawn to our lives that will cause us to become like a magnet to the presence of God. I don't know about you, but that's what I want my life to be. Uh, I, more than anything else, I want my life to be attractive to God. I heard a story that, that illustrates this. It was a story of a couple that had moved to Israel as missionaries. They were living in Israel and they were so excited when they got to Israel because the house that they moved into in Israel had a dove living in the eaves. And they got there and they thought, oh man, this is great. Uh, you know, a dove symbolizes the Holy Spirit. This house is blessed and the Holy Spirit is here and we're just, we know God's with us. And they were so excited about the dove. But as time went on, they began to see that, that there were times that the dove would fly away. In fact, every time they had an argument, the dove flew away. Every time they slammed the door in anger, the dove flew away. Every time they raised their voice to one another, the dove flew away. And after a little while, they said, man, we, that dove was so precious to us. Certainly not, it wasn't the embodiment of the Holy Spirit, but it was just a sign of God's presence and a blessing. And they said, you know what? I, I don't think the dove is going to adjust to us. I, I don't think he's going to get over get over himself, I think we're going to have to adjust to the dove. If we want the dove, we have to adjust to the dove. And the same is true when it comes to God's presence in our lives. Again, there's nothing we can do to earn the presence of God, but we can, we, we can arrange our lives in a way that becomes attractive to God's presence in our lives. That's what the Jesus life plan is all about. You see, there's no life that was more attractive and more conducive to the presence of God than Jesus. Of course, he was God, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, at his baptism, descended on him like a dove and remained on him. Jesus is the only person that the Holy Spirit has remained in fullness on forever. And that's what the Bible talks about, that we can quench the Holy Spirit. But Jesus walked perpetually sensitive to the Holy Spirit. His life was perpetually attractive to the Holy Spirit. And if you want God's blessing and God's favor and God's goodness on your life, on our church, on your family, there's things that we can do that will make room for God to feel at home in our lives. Things like silence and solitude, getting away from the, the noise, silencing the the constant notifications that come to us all the time, things like Sabbath that just reset the rhythm of our soul, things like prayer. 
That's why we're having, starting this Wednesday, for the next three weeks, Wednesday morning and evening from 7 a.m. Uh, at 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then 7 p.m. to 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. An hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. A little slow on math, folks, but we're having a time of prayer. That's why we have pre-service prayer every Sunday. Not because we just have spare time to sit around, but we go, God, we want you. We need you. I encourage you over the next few weeks, make room for God to move in your life. Some people say, I'm too busy. Let me, let me say this to you. I know we all have full schedules, but how many of you know if some wealthy billionaire called you and said, I'd really like to meet with you, I have something for you, you would become profoundly available, right? I mean, it would just be, I'm flexible, I'm available. How much more should we be committed to the presence of God, amen? Committed to making room, so prayer in the mornings. Praise and worship on the last Wednesday. Well, that's why we gave some extra time this morning to praise and worship. And let me reiterate, praise and worship's not the mu just music intro to service. It's not the thing that kind of we warm up to wait for the late risers to get in. Relax, if you were late, I can't see you, I'm down here anyway. But, but worship is about the presence of God coming into the atmosphere. It lifts the burdens, it breaks the... It breaks stress and anxiety off of us. That's why we're having on the last Wednesday of this month, the 29th, we're having a night of worship at East End Market. We're just devoting a couple hours on that evening to worship in God, seeking the Lord. That's why uh, Scripture, that's why we encourage you to spend time reading the Scripture. Actually, today we've created something that we're calling a meditation guide. And this is, just contains some instructions and help that will allow you to fill your mind with God's Word. I don't know if you realize this, but you can think about whatever you want. Did you know that? You have the right and the responsibility. Other people can control the circumstances of your life, but nobody has control over your mind. That's why the Bible says... Set your mind on things above. You can think about how stressed out you are. You can dwell on all kinds of imaginations and conspiracy theories. Or you can fill your mind with the truth of God's word. And so I encourage you to do that. Sorry if you're a conspiracy theorist. We love you. I'm sure you've got some really cool ideas. But not going to build your life, okay? And what are we talking about? We're saying we just want to arrange our lives for God's presence to be with us. We, we want God to move in among us. How many of you want that? More of God, amen? And, um, and so today I want to talk to you about, quickly, about a practice that I believe is one of the most profound ways to make room for God to move in your life. And that is the, the practice of fasting. I heard that grunting and groaning as I said that. I Fast, some of you are like, fast, that's a four-letter word. We shouldn't talk about that. Um, I have to tell you today, to be honest, fasting is not something that I'm like, yes, I'm so excited about fasting. The, the fact is, if you're anything like me, 
when just that word is said, immediately I have a million reasons that come to my mind why I should not and cannot fast. I mean, I've got, you know, things like pizza, things like Jason's mom at, at Lazy Moon, things like um, Hunger Street Tacos, things like um, ramen and things like donuts and shall I go on, right? I mean, I just, it is immediately, there's a million reasons why I can't fast. I mean, I, I just think about it. I think, what a terrible idea. Why, why would you do that? Yet I cannot get away from the fact that again and again we see throughout Scripture the importance of fasting in the lives of God's people. In fact, I, I would venture to say that every person in the Scripture that God uses in a powerful way spent time fasting. David fasted, Moses fasted, Esther fasted, Nehemiah fasted. And Jesus is the epitome of a fasted life. The greatest example of fasting is the life of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2 of Jesus. It records this, this moment as he began his ministry. And it says this, this was the, the, the very first part of his public ministry after his baptism. He said, it says in Matthew 4, 2, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I don't know about you, but to me that seems like it may be perhaps the most unneeded phrase in all of Scripture. Like, yes, he had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Of course he was hungry, right? Of course he's hungry, but what was the Scripture is just showing us the, the tension that we live in of both our physical reality, but also this deeper hunger and longing. And so Jesus fasted. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching about fasting, and he says this. He says, when you fast, notice he doesn't say if you fast. He, he doesn't say if you feel like it, if you have a few extra pounds that you want to lose, if, you know, if it's convenient, fast. He says, no, when you fast. In other words, there is an expectation from Jesus that his followers would adopt the practice of fasting. And when you fast, he goes on to say, don't make a big show of it. Notice he doesn't say, don't let anybody know that you're fasting. I know sometimes people think, if anybody knows I'm fasting, then I lose my blessing. It doesn't say, if they know that you're fasting. It says, don't do it to be seen by people fasting. He says the same thing about prayer. He doesn't say, don't let anybody know that you pray or you'll lose your, your blessing, right? Just in case you're like, I can't fast with the church because it's a private thing. He says, when you do that, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Notice the priority in Jesus' life. It was not the public demonstration, it was the private devotion. The life of Jesus, the greatest life that has ever walked the earth, said that what happens in private, what happens beyond the, the view of people, that doesn't have a hashtag, that isn't trending, that's what 
brings you into the place of an open reward. He goes on to say this in Matthew 17 at a moment when his disciples, as he had sent them out to to preach the gospel, they come back to him and they say, Lord, uh, we've we've found a situation that we just can't seem to solve. They, They had tried to cast a demon out of a person and they couldn't cast the demon out. They had the name of Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. You would think if there was anybody that could cast out a demon, that could see a breakthrough in a situation, it was these people. And they said, Jesus, we can't do it. And his response was this, some come out only by prayer and fasting. In other words, there's some things that regardless of your right theology will not get a breakthrough. There's some things that require setting yourself aside, taking action, positioning yourself for the presence of God to come into your life so that God can bring the breakthrough in your life. There's some things, I don't know what you have ahead of you this year, but let me tell you, some things won't change regardless of how hard you try. Some things won't change. You can bind it, you can loose it, you can shake it, you can try to cast it out, but Jesus says, here's the key, prayer and fasting. Fasting. What is it, what, what is it about fasting that's so powerful? Or, or maybe we should say it this way, what is fasting? What is fasting? And, and here's what I want you to see that fasting is. Fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Now, I know there's other types of things that people would call fast. I know that there's diets that people would refer to as a fast, but what makes fasting, biblical fasting, powerful fasting, fasting is that it's for a spiritual purpose. Diets can do you good, right? Yeah, diets can do you good, but they won't bring the breakthrough in your life. They won't release the spiritual power in your life. So fasting is not a diet, and fasting is not uh, a hunger strike. Hunger strike is to get the attention of people or maybe even to get the attention of God. I'll tell you this, that fasting is not about twisting God's arm to make him do what what you want him to do. In fact, I would go so far as to say that fasting is not even about God. God doesn't need you to fast. You need to fast. It's not about what God is able to do. It's about about opening up your heart so that you can experience the power that's already available in God. And so fasting is abstaining from food. Now, I'll, I'll emphasize again. I know that we say all kinds of things are fasting. I'm fasting from housework. I'm fasting from, it's the first thing that came to my mind. Sorry, sweetheart, I can't do that. I'm fasting housework. Just really want the blessing of the Lord. There's all kind. You can call anything fasting, but let me say this. Biblically, fasting requires abstaining from food. Now, why does it involve abstaining from food? The reason is because food is pivotal to life, crucial to life. I would say it this way, food is life. What makes food, food? It's that it is life-giving. 
Every time you eat something, regardless of if you're a vegan or a meat eater or keto or whatever you are, every time you eat something, something else had to die. Be it a piece of kale, be it a bison, thank you, Brad. Something had to give its life for you to have life. So food is, is really crucial to life. And, and there's nothing that is more primal, more essential, more basic to what it means to be human than food. And, and that's even why we identify ourselves by the type of food that we eat. Why? Because food is life. Food is life. But here's what I want you to see is that physical life that food gives is not the only kind of life there is. Your physical life, your physical body, your physical strength is not the only kind of life and strength and energy that there is. Because you are not just physical, you are also spiritual. Unlike everything else in creation, when God made mankind, the Bible says this, that he formed him out of the dust of the ground. That's the physical aspect of our bodies that, apart from the life of God, break down back into dust. But he didn't just form you from dust. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that he breathed the breath of life into you. What is life? Life is a is the expression of the very animating character of God that's been breathed into your soul, that's been breathed into your life. Regardless of your, who your parents are, what kind of family you were born in, regardless of the circumstances of your life, God is the one that gives life. Your life comes from God. And so humans have this dual nature. We are both flesh and bone, and we are also spirit, both flesh and spirit, or maybe I should say it this way, in both body and spirit. If you know the story of the Bible, you know that you don't have to read very far before you find that this, this life that God intended for us begins to break down. What happens? The serpent appears to Eve and he tempts her. If you eat this fruit that God has said not to eat, but God, did God really say not to eat that? The scripture says that it was, it was pleasant to the eye. It was good for food and it would make one wise like God. In other words, the original temptation is you can be like God so that you won't need God. You can have the life that God can give you without God. Isn't it interesting that the original temptation was in the, it was in the form of food? Why? Because food represents the very basic form of physical life. And so that temptation and that fall was a decision to pursue in an attempt to get the life that God offers and God promises. It was an attempt to have that by only pursuing physical means. If I get the physical life, then, then I'll be like God. And the Bible says that death entered into the world and death spread to all because all sinned in Adam and Eve. 
And so now that reality is working its way out. But the good news is, I told you already, that Jesus came and he said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. So when you put your faith in Jesus, there's this new spark of life that comes on the inside of you. There's this new reality that's birthed on the inside of you. It's what theologians call regeneration. Born again. New life. Now, maybe you can relate to this, that maybe the moment that God broke into your life, maybe you can't pinpoint the moment, but maybe you can look and say, I don't know when it happened, but I know that something happened because I began to have new desires. What's the sign of spiritual life? You begin to hunger for spiritual things. Like a natural baby is born, then the sign of health and the sign of life is do they have an appetite? The same is true of our spiritual life. If you've been born again, if you have the life of God on the inside of you, you hunger for spiritual things. You, you start to want different things. Maybe you can relate to that and you feel like, man, before I knew the Lord, I used to love this. And then I begin to not feel the same way about it. But here's the challenge, is that you're still in the body. Those old desires are, are programmed in the muscle memory of our DNA. And there will be a day that we will have a redeemed body, but in the meantime, we're still working with what our mama gave us. You know what I'm saying? You still have the same body. And so we're trying to work out these desires. You can feel, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can feel like you're in a spiritual tug of war. Some people say, I don't know if I'm a Christian because I feel like my desires are split. Let me tell you this, that means that you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you don't have split desires. You just try to do everything you can to fulfill the physical desires. The only challenge you have is, is between the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so the biggest challenge is, can I do what I've always done without people finding out what I'm doing? You know what I'm saying? That was, that's the challenge that you had before, but now you go, there's something new on the inside of me. There's new life. There's new desires. But you find yourself pulled. You find uh, on one side, there's this, these physical desires that the body is, is not bad. That's the reality. God gave us our body. It's not bad. But those desires that, that have been formed in the muscle memory, so to speak, or formed in the very core of our physical being. It's what the Bible calls the flesh. And if I were to give a definition for the flesh, the flesh is the disordered desires that seek the satisfaction that God offers, but seeks it away from God. The flesh is those things that the, the, the tendency to look for satisfaction away from God. The flesh is the things that, that, that says, if you could just get this amount of income, then you'd be secure. No. If you put your security in money, you'll be perpetually insecure. It, you, the, your flesh is the, the part of you that says if you could just get this partner or that partner or another partner, then you'd really be satisfied. No, you will be perpetually pursuing an endless pursuit of love because a person can never satisfy the longing that only God is intended to fill. Uh, the flesh is the things that will lead us away. 
That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, the Spirit of the person who's been born again, that has received the life of God, now there is a this-not-that relationship in their life. You've got to choose what you're going to feed. Are you going to feed the sinful desires? Or are you going to feed the spiritual desires? It's a this, not that relationship. I heard of a study years ago that was done at, the, at Stanford University where little children or, or young children, ages I think four and five, were put into a room and uh, they called it the marshmallow test. Who's heard about the marshmallow test? Some of you maybe from psychology have heard about the marshmallow test. The marshmallow test uh, that was held in, I think it was 1972, they took a child, they put them in a room, and they put a marshmallow in front of them. And they told the child, if you can resist the urge to eat that marshmallow for 15 minutes while I go out of the room... When I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. And you can look it up on YouTube. They've recreated it. And it's just so funny to see the war going on in the kids' minds. I mean, they're like looking at it. Can I lick it a little bit? Can I nibble and put it in a place that, how, how close can I get to eating it without actually eating it? And, uh, but you see this war of desires going on within them. And that's really a picture uh, of the spiritual life of every follower of Jesus, that there's a war of desires on the inside of us. We want the things of the Spirit. We want the life, the joy that only God can give us. We want the peace and the purpose and the, the destiny that only God can give us, but we still have this inward part of us that still kind of wants to do life without God. That, that basically it's the part of us that wants to be God. It, this, uh, Sigmund Freud explained it as the id, I think, or the id, the id. Thank you, psychology students. But the Bible tells us thousands of years before that that's the reason there's this pull between the spirit and the flesh in every person is because ultimately... God calls us to live into the life of the Spirit. You see, when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. You've been born again by the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Living in the flow of the Spirit. Living every day with that life of the Spirit on the inside of you. There's some people that will go to heaven when they die. And they'll look back and say, man, I wish I had experienced this sooner. I wish I had lived in the Spirit during my life. That's why Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, and I'm about to close. It says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Organize your life in a way that is attractive to the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to each other 
so that you do not do the things that you wish. What's he saying? If you'll stay in the flow of the Spirit, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll experience the life of the Spirit. You'll experience that life of peace and joy, that life of purpose, that life of love that no relationship can give, that no success can offer. You'll experience the fullness of what God has for you. And so fasting is an opportunity. Fasting is not an obligation. I, I told you that, God's, that Jesus said, when you fast. He doesn't say, if you fast, but neither does he say, you have to fast. Fasting is an opportunity, not an obligation. It's an opportunity for people that would say, God, I'm tired of living in the flesh. God, I'm tired of selling myself short of what you have offered to me. We see a picture of this in the life of Esau. If you're familiar with the story of Esau, Esau was the descendant of Abraham and Isaac. But Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. He was hungry. He had natural desires, natural uh, inclinations. But rather than living for the life that God offers, he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. How many people that are followers of Jesus will never experience the life that God intends for them because they're selling their birthright for a bowl of beans? They're not willing to live for something beyond here and now, beyond immediate gratification, beyond the things that feel good here and now. The story of the gospel is this, that there is life through death. And so fasting is an invitation it's an opportunity to come into the life that God offers us. I don't like fasting in the natural, but I love what fasting brings me into. Every time I fast, I experience the blessing of God. Normally not while I'm doing it. Normally while I'm doing it, I'm not very nice. Normally while I'm doing it, I'm a bit testy, at least for a few days. What is it? It's the flesh crying out, I'm not dead yet. Anybody seen... Monty Python, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. That's what we're doing when we fast. We're saying, bring them out. Bring out this dead old man. And here's what will happen is that dead old man will say, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. Yeah, but you will be soon, right? Bring out your dead. Why? Because God's calling you into a new life. Hey, if you're not living for this, what are you living for? What else is there? Go to heaven when you die. Yes, praise God for that, but that's going to be the offer of what's here on the table now. Life with God. That's what God offers to us. Don't sell the birthright just for a successful business. God wants your business to succeed, but get God and all his stuff will come with him. God wants your marriage to succeed, but don't get out of pursuing God in the name of just building something in the natural. Don't get out of serving God for the name of having a, just a, a nice family life that looks good on Instagram. I know I quit preaching and have gone to meddling now, but I'm just trying to challenge you. You don't have to fast. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to say, God, I want to crucify the flesh. Let me tell you this. It, you, God doesn't need you to fast. You need to fast. 
You need to fast. Here's some things that I believe are signs you need to fast. You need to fast if you can't control your tongue. You say, what does fasting have to do with my tongue? It's dying to your flesh. It's that inward part of you that hates to be restrained, that hates to be controlled, that when you determine to fast, that part of you that just comes out of your mouth before you even think about it gets put on the cross. Have you ever said, I didn't mean to say that? Yes, you did. Yes, I did. What is it? It's the inward part of me, right? And so we need to fast if you can't control your tongue. You need to fast if your emotions control you. If you let the circumstances of life determine the temperature of your spirit, you need to fast. You need to fast if you have mindsets that you can't shake. If you're bound by fear, bound by anxiety, you need to fast. Why? Because you're learning to quiet the voice of the flesh, to kill the flesh so that you can live to the spirit. You need to fast if you get depressed by social media. Now, maybe it would do good to fast or to, to abstain from social media. We're going to talk about that next week. But there's nothing that will crucify the flesh as much as not eating. You need to fast if you're bound in addiction to pornography or alcohol. If there's an addiction in your life, it may have nothing to do with food, but it's the appetite, the craving to be satisfied, the feeling of, I deserve to have what I want. It's the same thing that manifests in the, my two-year-old daughter. And some of us, we live our lives out of these desires. We learn how to control it in a socially acceptable way, but it's the same thing. You need to fast if your home is filled with fighting and anger. If you're, you and your spouse are arguing and fighting and there's bickering between you or problems in your marriage, you need to fast. Why? Because it's the flesh is the problem. You need to fast if you're bound by anxiety. You need to fast if you're stressed about finances. Now, I believe God will bring a breakthrough in your life through finances, but here's the biggest breakthrough is you'll learn to trust Him. You'll, you'll learn to say, God, you're enough. Just like Jesus, he wasn't weak after he fasted. He was strong after he fasted. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because your physical strength isn't the only kind of strength that there is. And so I want to call us today to 21 days of fasting and not just fasting and prayer, but of seeking God. That's part of the reason we're calling it temple. Worship team, you guys can come back up. We're calling it temple because... Honestly, I think it needs to be more than just fasting and prayer. I believe that's crucial. But I also want to encourage some of us that maybe we've not gotten into the Word to get into the Word. That's why we printed these meditation guides. That's why we even printed them. We we're going to post it on social media, and then we we're like, maybe they don't need to be on social media. Maybe you need a little digital detox. Paper is the newest thing. You, did you know things that are on a screen, you can actually print it. It's the craziest thing. And so maybe you need to print that. We're going to sing this song, All I Want. I, if, can we sing that again, Aaron? I know I'm switching things up back and forth. I want to ask you if you would to stand up to your feet. I, I'd ask the worship team to sing a different song before.